0: couple quick updates for those of you who weren't at the meeting yesterday. John Ness has officially moved from elder intern to elder. Yeah, all right. So we have another elder here at our church, and and we're excited about that. And then also, uh, we presented a lot of information about our building and some strengths and some weaknesses and some needed change moving into the future. Um, And I was asked a couple times after the meeting, so what's the next step? And we don't have one yet. Here's the first next step. Keep praying and thinking, and as you walk around the building, try to pay attention to the building and its strengths and its weaknesses, and if there's a door closed and shut and locked, wonder, why is that door shut and closed and locked? And uh, if you were at the meeting yesterday, you would know why. Um, We will send out a link. We did record it, so there's information for you, and it's a big conversation, a big discussion, and a big decision that we have to make at some point, so uh, I encourage you to get engaged at... In that at some point. Um, who is Park? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you, this is not like a rhetorical question, but I want a couple of you to, to tell me, as you think about this church, Park Community Church, who is Park? Shout it out nice and loud if you have an idea. <laughs> Great. We are nothing. <laughs> Followers in Christ. Followers in Christ. Spirit-filled. Community, spirit-filled. Body of Christ, young and old. Young and old. Lots, of <laughs> lots of babies, yes. Actually, if you were at the meeting yesterday, you would have also known that we've registered 197 kids into our kids' ministry in the last year. They don't all show up on the same Sunday, thankfully, because I don't know what we would do if they did. But yes, lots of babies, lots of kids. What else? What else comes to mind when you think about who Park is? Brothers and sisters, someone got the answer right. Thank you. Did you look at the bulletin? <laughs> what else? Growing: Growing. All right, that's good. It's, it's a little bit quiet here, so I'll stop you there, and I'll put you on the spot. But uh, it's you. Park is you. Park is me. Park is my opinions, and Park is your opinions. Park is my lived experiences. And park is your lived experiences. Ultimately, park is God's. We are God's family. And those are all great answers. We are all part of that. And that's my point. Like Even as we sit in a room like this, and if we were to sit down and think about it for a long time, we would all have... Probably some similar answers and experiences, but also some divergent answers and experiences or even hopes and dreams and aspirations for the church. And so it's kind of interesting for me as a pastor here for the month of January, as you know, we're doing this sermon series called We Are Park, exploring why park exists, exploring who park is and what park does. And I'm kind of like, and who am I to define that and decide that? When we all represent Park. Park is us. It is who all of us are and who we make it up to be. And so I am going to give you a little bit of direction as, as myself and the pastors and the elders and the leadership here and just the community here over the years has thought about how do we kind of land the plane on the language of who Park is? How do, how do we kind of help people understand whether you've been here for a long time or whether you're new to understand what is this church? Who are they? What, what are they all about? Why do they do the things that they do? And so it seems a little bit like a futile mission for me to tell you who we are again, right? Because we are who we are. We are, are a collection of individuals who are coming together to make a community. However, there's some basic and broad language that can help kind of define who we are. And so this is a little bit of a review if you've been here the last couple of weeks. Our, our purpose or our mission is that we exist to be and make disciples of Jesus together. We do this communally our vision or or, or the, the the practices that we have we strive to live as a family of sons and daughters who pursue god brothers and sisters who practice his ways and neighbors and witnesses who proclaim his gospel together. And so last week, I talked about being sons and daughters who pursue God. This week, I'm going to talk about being brothers and sisters who practice his ways together. And then next week, Mike, one of our global partners and elder, is going to preach about what it means to be neighbors and witnesses who proclaim his gospel together. Now, this culture piece, I've said this a couple times over the last couple weeks, but this is just kind of what's important to me, kind of my posture in this season of life and some of you here this morning may have listened to the podcast, Theo and the Rob, between Press and Sprinkle and John Mark Comer this week. I know some of you young people are all about that. I am myself as well, and I thought it was a great conversation. And they poo-pooed on the word organic. I'm like, come on. And I get it. They're right. The church needs some organization. We need some intentionality. However, I love the organic relational connection because I, I struggle at organization. And it was actually good. They said, if that's your bend, then you should push towards organization. And if you're the organized type, the type A type, you should probably push a little more towards type B, towards the organic. And, and our natural wirings, we need to be pushed by other people. And so this is a community thing. So this is some of our culture. This is some of who we are as a church, some of our, our values, kind of the, 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 the characteristic of our church in this season. Now, before I go on to talking about being brothers and sisters who practice his ways together this morning, I want to just go back so last week, just out of curiosity, how many of you were here last Sunday? Put your hand up nice and high. Yeah, a little over half of you. That's, man, this church is so funny. Like, honestly, any week it could be, we could be 300 people, we could be 400 people, and the turnover of who's out of town, who who is here. Uh, so it, I'm always like, do I do a little bit of review for all the people who are gone or not, or do I just press ahead? What I want to do this morning, before I get into brothers and sisters, is I want to do a little bit of review of sons and daughters primarily because if you were here last week, what you got was the identity. And so, one of our cultures here is identity before activity, right? Even in our vision statement, we are sons and daughters, identity, who pursue God. We are brothers and sisters who practice his ways, identity, and then activity. We are neighbors and witnesses, identity who proclaim his gospel together, activity. And so last week, as I, as I talked about what it means for us to be sons and daughters who pursue God, I totally just honed in on the identity piece. Who are we, sons and daughters? And I did that intentionally. And, and here's something that you're going to experience with me throughout the years, is that I really like preaching to the heart more than I like giving information for the head. Now, they're both needed. So when we gather on a Sunday, I primarily want to proclaim our identity. And so last week, I spent the whole Sunday just trying to remind us, because my soul needed it, and I think our collective soul needs the reminder that we are sons and daughters adopted by God, that he is a good father, who when he looks at us, he smiles, he's approving, he's loving, he's affirming, he's accepting because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. Amen? So that was all last week. I only addressed our identity as sons and daughters. And I did want to just come back for just a quick minute before I move into the next identity statement that we are brothers and sisters who practice His ways together. And I I want to say, I just want to spend a couple of minutes saying, well, how do we pursue God? Because I didn't even touch on that last week. How do we pursue God? So, So what are our practices? Like when we say we are sons and daughters, who pursue God, what does that pursuit look like? You might be thinking, as a result of last week, like, that's amazing, thanks for the reminder that I'm adopted into a family, that I am a son or a daughter of God, but but how do I pursue God together with others? And so I want to just spend a couple minutes talking about that. We do this, we pursue God through corporate and private. It, it's, a, it's a corporate thing. Our pursuit of God is communal. So you'll notice in our statements, that they're, they're always they always end with together because we do this together in relationship connected to one another. So we do it through corporate but also private. We all have a private individual relationship with God. We should. We need to foster an intimate relationship with God on our own. But then we bring that intimate relationship with God into community, which also helps with our intimacy with God, self, and others. So we pursue God through private and corporate Here's all, like, just spiritual disciplines, right? This is not an exhaustive list, but this is just the main idea. If you're wondering, what is Park? How do they do things? Well, we, we pursue God through both corporate and private Bible study. When we gather together on a Sunday, we study the Bible. We encourage you to scatter into your homes, into your apartments, and study the Bible. Be a part of a BSF group. Be a part of a community group. Be a part of some kind of women's Bible study that meet here. A men's Bible study that meets on Wednesday mornings down the street at Caribou Coffee. Study the Bible on your own and with others. Pray. And when I say pray, I don't just mean like standard prayer, but like intimate connection with God and others, both corporate and an individual. There's, there's so many different types of prayers in Scripture. There's prayers of complaint. So when you feel like complaining, you should bring that to God. He'll hear you. He'll love you. He might correct you. He might empathize with you. It depends on your complaint. There's prayers of rejoicing, there's prayers of praise, there's prayers of petition, there's prayers of intercession, there's all these kinds of prayers. And so I'm not going to do a deep teaching on prayer here now this morning, but we need to, as a community, pray together. That's why we pray. And let's not be so narrow-minded and shallow to think that prayer is only when we, would you pray with me? Right? This is prayer. God is active and living and with us and in us and among us. And so all of our interactions with each other is prayer. We need to learn to be attentive to the God who is present with us so that we have a prayerful mindset as we interact with people. Music. We gather, we sing, you scatter, you listen to music, to worship music, music that stirs your affections for God. And and I I also want to say, even some non-Christian music, you should learn how to pursue God through non-Christian music. In fact, in my life, over the past two years, some non-Christian music has done some of the deepest work in my heart in unlocking some things, because there's some poetic things. There's some, there's some things that non-Christians ask that I'm like, that's an honest question that too many Christians are afraid to ask. And so let's not be religiously boxed in. Let's pursue God through music, through worship music, and just through any music. Like, listen to it. What, is, what does it mean? Why does does that person think that way? Do I think that way? Is that a healthy way to think? Is that a helpful way to think? Is that true about God? Is that true about me? Is that true about the world? Confession. When we gather on Sunday mornings, when you scatter, we need to practice the discipline of confession. Now, this means confessing sin. It means the negative things. It means getting it out, confessing it, admitting it to God and to other people. But it also means confessing what is true and right and good and lovely and noble. So when we gather, some of the songs that we sing, some of the prayers that we offer are more more negative confessions, like confession of sin, confession of wrongdoing, confession of missing the mark. Some of the confessions are confessions about God's holiness, God's goodness, God's grace, God's glory. And so as we sing, as we preach, as we interact, we're confessing who God is and who we are. Communion. We take communion every Sunday when we gather. And so part of communion is the Lord's table, but also part of communion is when we scatter outside of here, we're meeting in each other's apartments. We're gathering in each other's homes. We're gathering in coffee shops. We're meeting at restaurants and and we're communing. We're having fellowship. The, The biblical Greek word is koinonia. It's this deep, intimate, relational connection with another person or a group of people where we're taking off the mask. We're being real. We're being honest. We're communing with one another. And so church family, do this. Like the communion elements that we take on a Sunday morning, they're a good reminder for us of the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples, but that was a long lingering meal with much food and much drink. We don't have time or the logistical, like could you imagine if we tried to have a long lingering meal with each other during the first service and then try to speed it up so we can get on to the second service? So this, this communion act, The Lord's Supper is just a reminder for us to commune with God and one another. It's a reminder of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So we pursue God as we eat meals together, as we enjoy drinks together, as we carry one another's burdens and rejoice with one another over table fellowship. Silence and solitude. This should be a corporate thing. It should be a private thing. Maybe you've never had a silence or a solitude retreat. Maybe maybe silence and solitude terrifies you. Try giving it a half an hour this week. It'll be really good for your soul. Let's practice some corporate silence right now. Would you just close your eyes with me for a moment? That silence in the real world right there. Yep, there it is again, right? <laughs> so we need to, communally, and whoever that is, I love that you're here, don't even feel bad about it. This is, that was perfectly timed. So, so we all, if you're married with a little kid crying at home, give your spouse a chance to get away for even an hour. Leave your cell phone. What, what if something happens to them? I don't know, they figured out for centuries before the last decade, Right? Go and spend some time alone in silence and solitude. And then fasting. I mean, if communion is about feasting together, fasting is about denying the the cravings of the flesh, which is a really good thing to do in our pursuit of God. And, And sometimes we do corporate calls to fasting as a church community. Other times it's like, go and fast. Figure that rhythm out for yourself. Maybe that's fasting from media. Maybe it's fasting from food. Maybe it's fasting from some other things. I don't know. Figure that out. This is what it means for us to pursue God together corporately and privately. And so I just wanted to bring you some of that um, because last week, like I said, it was all just preaching the identity. I wanted to give you some practical activity as a follow-up. Now this morning, I want to talk about what it means that we are brothers and sisters who practice his ways together. Brothers and sisters who practice his ways together. So first, the identity, right? We are brothers and sisters. We are family together, me and you and the people in the pews. And and we have membership here at Park Community Church. And so that's like the highest form of belonging where you actually sign a document, you say, I'm in, I'm committed to this group of people, but also attenders, like as you're checking out park, whether you've been attending for years or whether you're a new attender, we want you to find yourself as part of the family and see yourself as a brother or a sister of those that you worship with, because the scriptures consistently talk about the church as the household of God, the family of God, the body of Christ, And members of one another. This is some of the New Testament language about the church. And so we're not an organization, although we have to organize some things. We're not an event, although we have some events. We're not the Sunday morning event. This is an event, right? This is one of the things that we do. This is one of the ways that we together pursue God our Father, that we practice His ways as brothers and sisters, and that we motivate one another, encourage one another to go out and be neighbors and witnesses. We do this because we're family. This is our identity. We are brothers and sisters of one another. In this incredible book, which I highly encourage you to read, uh, The Relational Soul, they say, At the core of our being is this truth. We are designed for and defined by our relationships relationships are not just important priorities. They are essential for our physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual well-being. We cannot live fully alive apart from loving connection with others. Even God is constituted in this way. And they will go on to give some theology about that, that God himself is a community, the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit. In Genesis chapter 1, it says, let us make man in our own image and in the image of God we were created." Communal, relational. God says, let us. Jesus, the Son, was present. The Holy Spirit was present. One being, three persons. That's a mystery to embrace. But God himself is relational. And so in creating us in his image and likeness, he created us as relational beings. We are interwoven to one another. We are interrelated. We are inter. Connected. We can't do life apart from each other. So this means you will be spiritually malformed and spiritually immature if our spiritual formation is through podcasts, and books, and sermons from people that we don't know and we don't have community, where we call one another brothers and sisters, where we do life together, where we are, where we are deeply connected. Some of our physical, psychological, emotional, and spiritual problems come from not being deeply known and seen and soothed and safe and secure and loved by others in the flesh. So that's our identity. What about our activity? Well, we we practice His ways together. And so we are a community. We are brothers and sisters who we practice His ways. Or are the commands of Jesus. We used to say the word commands in our statement, but we changed it because ways seems a little more invitational. And I don't know, we could fight about that. It, they're commands and ways. They're both And so we together practice Jesus' ways. We practice his commands. I want to see this here in the scriptures together. So look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. It's on page 828 in the Pew Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own or a Bible on your electronic device, please open that up. Matthew 22, starting at verse 34 says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were religious leaders, the religious institution in Jerusalem, and they also had like like politics and religion. Bad. (laughs) Bad together, bad separate. Uh, I I don't want to overstate that. Some of you are like, nope, we can talk about that another time. But when the Pharisees heard that he, Jesus, had silenced the Sadducees. They gathered together, and these two groups hated each other. They didn't work well together, but when it means silencing Jesus, we can can find some common ground. So they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the Great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depend all of the law and the prophets. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees were arguing about the Old Testament 613 laws in the Old Testament. And then they had built extra laws on top of those laws. They they referred to it as the hedge around the law to protect them from breaking the biblical law. And they asked Jesus, what's the most important? Trying to trick him. And he distills all of Scripture, any command, any way, any law from God into this. Love God, love neighbor. Communal, right? A son and a daughter. I'm loved by God, and I love God. I pursue him. Love neighbor, brother, sister. And next week, we're going to talk about neighbors and witnesses, but this has to bend out to one another. You can't, you can't love your neighbor. You can't love the non-Christian if you don't love the Christian, if you don't love your brother your sister in Christ, how in the world are you going to love someone who's not in Christ? You may like them more, but, but we've got to learn to love one another. It says all of the laws depend on these two. Love God, love neighbor. That can summarize all of scripture. And if you know nothing else, if you remember nothing else, if you're confused about everything else, grab onto those words of Jesus love God, love neighbor, love God, love neighbor. And I I love that actually Jesus says, love neighbor as yourself. Some of us struggle with self-hatred and shame. And I I think Jesus intentionally says, love neighbor as self. Like there's this needing to learn how to love who we are because we're created in the image and likeness of God and we are lovable. And so this is Jesus' call to us. This is what it means to practice his ways. Look at Matthew chapter 28, a couple pages to the left. Matthew 28 verses 16 through 20. I won't spend a ton of time on this because I preached this one a couple weeks ago with our main statement that, that we, are, uh, we exist to be and make disciples who uh, we exist to, see, I can't even remember our own statements. We exist to be and make disciples of Jesus together. It comes from this. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped, but some doubted. I said this a couple of weeks ago, we are a community of people who worship and doubt. And it's not like we have doubters and we have worshipers. It's like all of us, depending on the circumstances of our life, in any given moment might be a worshiper, we might be a doubter. Amen? Okay. So Jesus comes to this group of disciples, some are worshiping, some are doubting, and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples, followers, apprentices of Jesus, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. We are brothers and sisters who practice the ways Practice the commands of Jesus together, because he said, this is what we are to do, to teach one another, to teach others how to practice the ways, how to practice the commands of Jesus, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We don't practice the ways of Jesus in our own flesh, in our own grit, in our own ability, with our own willpower. We practice the ways of Jesus because he is with us. We have communion, we have intimacy, we have connection with him, and as we abide in him, we begin to practice his ways together. We begin to learn and understand all of his ways, as it says in verse 20, as they're taught to us, as we're teaching them to one another, as we're experiencing them in community, and we are learning to live them out together. Flip over to John chapter 13. It's on page 900 in the Pew Bible. Remember the greatest commandment, love God, love others. Now Jesus, sitting with the disciples the night before he was crucified, says in John 13, 34 and 35, he says, a new commandment I give to you. What are the ways of Jesus? What are the commands of Jesus? Well, he said, love God, love others. Here he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, my followers, my apprentices, if you have love for one another. This is the call. This is what it means to practice his ways. Can you love one another in isolation? No, right? Can you you love others without being in relationship with others? No. Fulfilling Jesus' command, the, the greatest commandment to love God and to love others, requires deep, meaningful relationships with others, that we have brothers and sisters, that we see ourselves as connected to one another. Now look at on the next page, John fourteen six. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is the way. So when we talk about what what, what does it mean that we're brothers and sisters? Well, we're adopted into God's family. We're his sons and daughters. We are connected to one another. We have this familial relationship with one another. We're brothers and sisters of one another. And as brothers and sisters, we want to do the things that our Father commands us. And our Father commands us to love him and to love others. And then Jesus shows us how that command looks lived out. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And so, we are brothers and sisters who practice the, the commands of God. What are the commands of God? They're seen in the ways of Jesus. I love how Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors and a former pastor, oh, went too far. Former pastor who passed away the last couple of years uh, in his book The Jesus Way. He says the Jesus way, wedded to the Jesus truth, brings about the Jesus life. A Christian congregation. The church in the neighborhood has always been the primary location for getting the way and the truth in the life of Jesus believed and embodied. There is more to the church than this local congregation, and then he goes on to talk about the universal church. There is the universal church of whom we also belong and benefit from, and in his book here he spends a little more time explaining that. But the local congregation is where we get all of this integrated the local congregation is the primary place for dealing with the particulars and people we live with. Oh, think about that. The particulars and the people, isn't that what makes life hard, the people and the particulars? Man, spirituality is so easy on a podcast. It's so easy when you read a book. It's so easy when you're doing your private, well, it's not even easy when you're doing your private devotions, but But it's not hindered by other people. And this is is the call. He says, as created and sustained by the Holy Spirit, it is intensely local and personal. So here's a practical takeaway Our our, our formation, our spiritual formation, our practicing the ways of Jesus, it doesn't come from Eugene Peterson's writings, as great as they are. It doesn't come from practicing the ways of Jesus like John Mark Homer. As great as they may be, it doesn't come from Jen Wilkins' in-depth Bible studies, as good as those may be. It doesn't come from Jackie Hill Perry's prophetic and poetic voice. It doesn't come from Preston Sprinkle's ability to nuance everything or John Piper's ability to define everything. Right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Others of you, you have no idea. Just stay that way. Ignorance is bliss. these are all good and fine things. Like the universe, in the universal church, we are brothers and sisters with people outside of our local fellowship, and so there's so many good resources and voices and things to grow from. And, and we should. But all we get from people that we don't know, other pastors, podcasts, blogs, YouTube videos, is information and ideas. And, and those information and ideas might be good. They might be bad. I don't know. And But that's what we get. We get information and ideas outside of community. But formation, spiritual formation, happens primarily in community. It is radically personal and local. It's relational. It's terribly inefficient. You can't do relationship in an hour. I shared with you this study that I read a couple weeks ago in the Wall Street Journal that it takes 40 to 60 hours for the average person to move from acquaintance to shallow friend. And then it takes about 200 hours to move from, like, shallow basic friend to deep friend. And so we need each other. We need relationship. It's terribly inefficient and slow, and it's painfully ordinary. Ordinary. And that's how formation happens in the ordinary, in the slow, in the inefficient. Now, I'm not saying to discard all of the universal church resources, but I'm saying wrestle with them, enjoy them, explore them, question them in real embodied relationship with brothers and sisters in Christ in a local church. Whether that's park or not, I don't know. This isn't a commercial for you to be a part of park. This is a commercial for your soul to be committed and deeply connected to a group of other people who will run the race with you as a cloud of witnesses. Amen? And, and sometimes I think just a, a word of caution to all of us because there's so much information out there for us. My experience in my own heart, I could give you story after story about how this has worked in my own heart, and then observation of many others is sometimes national voices from the universal church, as good as they may be, sometimes they cause us to judge and criticize and distance ourselves from actual local embodied community. Like, for example, I don't know if I should say a name here or not, there was a book written a couple of years ago. I'm not going to say the name because it's—he's a brother in Christ—and it's a good book so with some really good points. But there's a book written about just the the mode of church, like how you do church. And this particular book had a leaning towards house churches, and it was written by a pastor in a different city, different culture, different context. And I have—I know in my own heart how I've read it and I've judged people in my life for not being as intentional or doing life in that way, and, and I've experienced many other people who read the same book, and they're like, well, the church doesn't need a building. We all have homes. Let's just be a house church. I'm like, yeah, we, we actually tried that as a church plan. It doesn't work very well in this community right now anyway, and so, so, so we have to be careful whether you're like a younger person in our church who's listening to a bunch of podcasts or whether you're an old person listening to a bunch of politicians, I don't, and I don't know why I made that. You can be young and listen to politicians or old and listen to podcasts. I don't know. There's my judgments. Young people listen to podcasts, old people listen to politicians. Uh, These things can cloud our thinking, and we can listen to somebody's voice who we've never had a conversation with, and we can begin to judge the person in the pew next to us or the parent at our dinner table or or the sibling at our dinner table or the sibling in our community group. And these are our people. We are brothers and sisters, right? So, so, take the ideas, take the information, but wrestle with it in love with others. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples, you are my family by your love, not by your good ideas and by your great ideals, by your love, by your relationship, by your brother and sisterness. In his book, Life Together, Dietrich Bonhoeffer has this great quote, which I think applies here. He says, The person who loves their dream of a community more than the community itself becomes a destroyer of the community, even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. That's why it's vital that we see ourselves, our identity, as brothers and sisters and that we practice the ways of Jesus together in real life, in, in flesh and blood, in skin and bones, with all of our particularities and personalities, right? It's far more formational than ideas and information from somebody who's not in flesh, with their ideals and their personalities, which you may love or you may not you can love the person without liking all of their personality traits. I know because people love me. So, lastly, kind of as we close down, what, what does this mean? Like, what ways or commands do we practice and how? Right? So, we know our identity. Sons and daughters. We're the family of God. We know our activity, what we do. We practice his ways together. But, like, what ways or commands? And, and then how? Well, I mean, Jesus told us All. Right? And so in community, in real relationship, we practice all the ways and commands of Jesus. And I, I really like that Jesus summarized them as two: love God, love others. Just remember that. And then these, these ways or these commands of Jesus, that, of God, that we want to practice together in the ways of Jesus, they can be summarized by the one another's in the New Testament and, uh, and some of you may be like, what are the one another's? Others of you, you've been around the church for a while, and you know. Um, for any of you, if you sign up for the Park Weekly, or if you open the Park Weekly and look at it, <laughs> this last week, there was in there sermon discussion questions, which have all the one another's. And I think for all of us, as individuals who make up a community, it would be really good to, to go to that email, click on that link, open up that document, and read this sheet, and then try to bring this into the community. Let me just close down this morning by reading this for you. The phrase one another is derived from the Greek word alion, which means one another. Good translation. It occurs a hundred times in the New Testament. Approximately fifty-nine of those occurrences are specific commands teaching us how and how not to relate to one another. Obedience to those commands is imperative. That means it—it's a—it's—it's it's a result. While the gospel, the good news of salvation, is indicative. That means it's a declaration of salvation that does not depend on our works. God's work. He declares us righteous. The outworking of the gospel, the command to love one another is imperative. It's a command. It's a result of what has been declared. So the one another commands of the New Testament form the basis for all true Christian community, and they have a direct impact on our witness to the world, as Jesus said in John thirteen thirty five. In addition to alion, the Bible uses other words and phrases to instruct us how to relate to others. The following list is not exhaustive, but it is a good summary of the uses of the word alion in the New Testament. So I'm just going to read these off for you. Just listen. Listen to the ethic that the scriptures give for how we treat one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Love one another. This command, this, this way of being is used approximately 16 times in the New Testament. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another above yourself. Live in harmony with one another. Build one another up. Be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another. Admonish one another. Greet one another. Hey, stand and say hello to your neighbor with a holy kiss. Four times in the New Testament, it says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So be ready next Sunday. (laughs) Care for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, forgive one another, be patient with one another, speak the truth in love to one another, be kind and compassionate to one another, speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, submit to one another. Consider others better than yourself. Look to the interests of one another's. Bear with one another. Teach one another. Comfort one another. Encourage one another. Exhort one another. Stir up one another to love and good deeds. Show hospitality to one another. Employ the gifts that God has given us for the benefit of one another. Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Pray for one another. Confess your faults to one another. We are members of one another there's some negative commands as well. Do not lie to one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, you'll be destroyed by one another. Do not become conceited and provoking one another and envying one another. Do not slander against one another. Do not grumble against one another. So those are the ways of Jesus the commands of God and the scriptures that you and I need to learn to over time in relationship as brothers and sisters practice together. Now that's a lot. How many of you are getting an A plus on that list? Put your hand up nice and high. No. That's a lot. And so often we fail. And so here's here's, here's how I want to close down this morning as we come to the communion table to remind you of the gospel. I don't want to leave you with a law. Love one another. That command from God, that way of Jesus, is a result of our receiving God's love. And so as we want to practice the one another's together in community with our brothers and sisters, we have to continually release all the judgments that we're carrying, all the lack of hospitality, all of the grumbling, all of that stuff, release it. Receive the love of God for us in Christ so that we have a chance to actually love one another. And so let me leave you with God's grace, not God's law this morning. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we, me and you, sons and daughters of God, we're his workmanship. Created, reborn, given new life, baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so here's the reminder, church family, we have an identity, an imputed, this is a theological word that theologians over the centuries have used, an imputed righteousness. That means all those one another's that I read, when we don't measure up, God doesn't look at us us and say, you didn't measure up, you better try harder. He looks at us and says, Jesus did all those things. And I now, because of your relational trust of Jesus, I now am giving Jesus' perfection to you. So when God, your heavenly father, looks at you and he calls you son or daughter, he doesn't see all the ways that you screwed up. He sees all the ways that Jesus succeeded. And he says, and that's how I see you, imputed righteousness. I'm loved. I'm chosen. I'm adopted. I'm forgiven. I'm declared righteous. I'm declared holy. I'm declared blameless. I'm declared as though I have done all of the one another's. It's amazing. It's amazing. God, how great is your grace? How great is your love? And now I want to go love others. It's a practiced righteousness. And so God gives us his righteousness. He covers us in his robe of righteousness. And then we learn together to go and practice that, to become who we actually are. Amen? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we love you. I thank you that you lived a perfect life that you died a sinner's death, and that you overcame sin and death in the grave. I thank you that you have imputed your righteousness to us. You've given it to us, and now we are covered in your righteousness, and God sees us as holy, pure, spotless, lovely, blameless. And Lord, I pray that together as a community, as brothers and sisters, we would learn to over and over again walk out your ways as we Discover what it means to be loved by others and to love others. For your glory, our good, and the advancement of your gospel. We pray these things in your name. Amen. You're welcome to come to the communion table here at Park and uh, just be reminded of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. If it's your desire to walk with Jesus, to have a relationship with him, um, this is a communal act. We move to the elements as we see one another. We're reminded, brother, sister, brother, sister brother, sister, in desperation to come to the table together and receive Jesus. So whenever you feel led and ready, please come.